he sits down with a pen in his hand to write. And he unrolls the scroll. How is he going to start this incredible story? What are going to be the first words? And he settles on this idea that it's going to be on the identity of the Son. Who, who he is as the Son. Yes, he could have written about Christmas. He could have started with Advent. He could have talked about shepherds and wise men and the virgin birth and all those things. He could have written about that. That would have been great. But he wants to start with the identity of the Son. And he could have started with in the beginning. And he could have gone back to the creation of the world. But he wants to start with the identity of the Son. And so he starts writing. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he gets right into the action. He is a man of action as he starts writing his gospel. And you've got to be selective. You can't say everything. Scrolls only go so far. And so he begins writing. And he writes about a, a wild man in the wilderness that's dunking people in water and bringing them up into this new life, turning from their sins, getting people ready for the sun. And then he writes about the appearance of the Son. Again, not an appearance in a manger. Not an appearance as the Word made flesh from the beginning of time. The Son comes onto the scene without a word. He's spoken nothing and he goes into the water and he's baptized. And as he comes out of the water, God rips heaven open. He rips heaven open so that something, so that someone can get through. And out of the tear comes something like a dove. And it lands on him. And he feels, he feels his Father's presence by the Spirit falling on him. Then he hears a voice. And, and, and we're not told if everybody heard the voice or if just the son heard the voice, but it doesn't really matter because the son is the audience for the voice. The voice is speaking to the son, and heaven is open. No barriers are between the son and the father. This is, this is the greatest father-son moment you could argue in all of history. This is it. And then the Father declares His identity. You're my Son. My beloved Son. And I've got to think that the Son needed to hear it. Because just as the Son hungered for food, thirsted for water, needed to sleep, He needed to hear from Dad. And so His Father spoke. Declaring his identity. Declaring the pleasure he has in the Son. And this is something that, it's not that the Son didn't know this. The Father and Son have been in a loving relationship from eternity. But he needs to hear it on this day. 
And the amazing thing is that this day is the beginning of the son's ministry. The son had done nothing, said nothing, nothing was accomplished yet. The cross is on the horizon. No miracles have been performed. There's no performance to base this word on that the son is going to hear. Oh, Mark makes sure he's recorded no words of the Son yet. The Father speaks first in this Gospel. He says, you're my Son. I love you. And I'm pleased in you. Just because this is who the Son is. There's nobody like Him. Begotten and yet uncreated, a man, yet God, lowly, yet exalted, 30 years old, yet from eternity, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that those may be the two greatest verses on fatherhood in the whole Bible. It's Maybe a little concerning that there's not a lot of great examples of fathers in Scripture, but we have the greatest one in all the Scripture. That would be God the Father. But I think it's true to say this is, of all the moments in Scripture, this is one of the most beautiful father-son moments you're going to read. It's one of the most beautiful father-son moments. It's the greatest in all of history, I would say. And it's all about... How pleased the Father is with the Son. And it makes me wonder if that is not maybe the missing ingredient in so much of the world today. I would say there is a father problem in the world. There is a father problem in the world. And it will only be resolved if we can understand God the Father. Because He's not... He's not like a father. He's the father. He is the, the first one. And so whatever we think about fatherhood ought to first come from him. And yet, we all have a human father. So reality is, our first thoughts on fatherhood come from our human father. What they did right, what they did wrong, their presence, their absence. It, it, it all comes into play. But to really resolve the father issue of today, we got to look at God the Father. That's where we need to go. I believe so much of a young person's trouble can be traced back to father issues. It often comes up when I speak with people. What can we see about the father here that would help us in some ways, I look at this verse and I'm like, how awesome it is to be a dad. That, that's the tone I want to set today. Because uh, I'll put it like this. Let me grab my, let me grab a few utensils here. That This will help us. Okay. Um, a few tools for the job. So, you know, you know how you dads are. You got hammers, pliers, Phillips head, get the job done. Um. You wear different hats, you dads do. You know, you're workers, and, and, and that's, that's part of what you do. And you've got to know 
the tool has to fit the job. I can't use this for hammering a nail. It's for screwing in the screw. I have to know what it is for to use it. And so we have different roles. And, and some of you, you know, you have a job, you're a hard worker, you know how to do your job well. And that's what you do the Monday through Friday, mornings or evenings or whatever your hours are. You know how to do what you do. But when it comes to fatherhood, we also have a job to do. And maybe what we, and sometimes in our, in our culture and society have missed is, we have to look at God to know this is what fathers do. This is what fathers are like. This is the privilege of being a dad. This is funny. I grabbed a hammer. You know, sorry. <laughs> I wasn't implying anything there, you know. <laughs> sometimes it feels like that as dads, right? You know, you just kind of, it's like whack-a-mole. Okay, sorry. Um, that did not come out right. Can we edit that before it goes online? All right. <laughs> but I, I, I've got to believe that if God designed fatherhood, and if he is the father, that he's got a great role for us, an exciting role for us. I've got to think that if, that if God enjoyed, enjoys being a father so much, we, ought, we should too. And I do. So I just want to, I want to talk this morning about some of the wonderful elements of being dad. Okay, and I think you're going to agree with me. I think you're going to get this. And I'm going to take it right from the passage we read, right from that singular verse. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think that ought to shape how we look at fatherhood. Now, I do want to tell you that verse, that, that statement of, of the father, I believe comes out of Isaiah 42, if we can pull that up. It, it is prophetic in that sense, and that Isaiah talked about a servant that would come. And so it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. I think this is the Father. I think this is a prediction of what was going to happen at Jesus' baptism. That the spirit would be put on Jesus. That inaugurated his ministry. But the Father got to declare his incredible love for his son. Let, let, let me talk about a few elements of this uh, fatherhood. I'll, I'll talk about three. Number one will be uh, presence. Presence. We see the Father ripping heaven open and sending the Spirit. You know, when it says the Spirit came down like a dove, I, I envision something bird-like that is, that is coming down from heaven, that... that, that if you could have looked up, you could have seen right in and seen the throne room and seen the crystal sea. Maybe you could have seen a creature or two standing around with all the eyeballs and, you know, things you've never seen before on earth. And out of that incredible, glorious, beautiful scene in heaven comes the Spirit, like a dove. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, he feels all the water droplets falling off. You that have been baptized know that feeling, you know, all the water's coming off of you. And the Spirit lands on him. And, 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 he, and he feels it. He, he feels it land on him. I was at the zoo the other day with my kids, the, the one in Monaco. You can go into that uh, 
big bird house thing and all the birds are landing. Have you done that? You know, it's amazing. All these birds are like landing on you and you can feed them. And, and you know, you can just stand there with your arms out almost, you know, and, and you can just feel them landing on you. It's, it's really incredible. And, and, I, and I think about Jesus and what he felt as the Spirit descended onto him. And it was a, it was a tangible, physical, real reminder that the Father is here with me. I feel the Father's presence through the Holy Spirit. And so, dads, one of the things we get to do that matters so much to our kids, and and you know what I'm talking about, we get to make our presence felt to our kids. And and I don't so much mean we come home and say, I'm home, kids, you know, uh, here I, you know. Maybe you do that. Maybe you've been that guy. You know, you give your kids a big hug when you walk in the door. That, that could be. But that, 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 you're, that you're present, that you're there. Because this is one of the things I do. Um, I, could be, I could be reading, and I'm in the zone. You know that zone, whatever you're doing. And one of the kids comes up to you, and, 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 and they start to have a conversation with you. But I haven't looked up yet. You know, I, I'm still reading, and, and I'm able to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm telling myself that I can multitask. I, I can do this. But as a man, I really can't. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. I'm telling myself I can have this conversation, I can keep reading, and I can do all these things at once. But really, what I'm really doing is reading, and I'm just trying to maintain an mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't work with the wife so much. It doesn't work, you know. It, she'll do something, you know, and it'll it'll... She'll get my attention. It'll, it'll happen. But, but kids, sometimes I notice my, my kids play along with that. You know, like they just, they just play along. Like they, like they think, Dad is, he, he is hearing me. But, but I'm not the way that I should. I'm not fully engaged. I'm not fully present. And this is a reminder for me to be a fully present dad. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means in your life, to be fully present and not working on the next thing in your mind, but to listen, to look in the face, even as God rips heaven open, which in some ways isn't necessary, but it certainly is dramatic and it shows that He is fully looking at the sun in that moment. I am seeing you coming up out of the water and I love what I'm seeing. You have my complete attention, son. That's what I see happening here. And kids need to know, daughters need to know, when I talk to daddy, he's fully engaged with me. Have I done it great all the time? Absolutely not. But I know that's what the father does for me. That's how the father treats the son. Presence. Being there. So for you, that could be a variety of ways. It it, it could be the the fishing trips. It can be the attending sports games, coaching the soccer team. There's a hundred different ways you can just be there and your kids can feel your presence. And it might not be the most interesting thing you've ever sat through, but for them, they feel it. That's what it means to be a dad. I'm here. Dad's here. Secondly, the second thing I see here is uh, pleasure. I see pleasure. The Father expresses unconditional delight in the Son. As I said earlier, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. 
He hadn't started his three-year ministry, right? Mark doesn't record him saying a word yet. Not even a word. And the Father is speaking to him. The Father talks first. And I think about that. I think about the fact that, yes, when Jesus died on the cross, he entered into glory after that. I mean, there's a real sense that when Jesus died, one of the rewards for obedience is to go back to his Father and be in glory with him, right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's biblical. But I love that this expression comes before any of that happens. And it shows me that there is an unconditional delight in the Son. And so I know, I know that dads have to do this. I mean, I, I know we have to be the encouragers and say, good job, you got, you got first place. You got sixth place. Good job. You worked hard. You know, like we got to do that. And, and we show up to the spelling bees, you know, and, and, and our kids didn't win it. But, you know, we were there and, and, and we expressed what we felt about that. We need to tell them good job. I remember those times my dad said it to me. But there's also something that every kid needs to feel in saying, I love you, but it's based on the fact that you're my son. You're my daughter. That's it. That's it. I get to be your dad. And that is amazing. Just just because of who you are. And and I know in so many areas of life, it is performance-based. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong. I know jobs are that way. I know school is that way. Sports are that way. You've got to perform to get to the next level. I understand that. That's the way life is. That's not a bad thing. But God created this thing called fatherhood to be a place where we can hear a man say to us, it doesn't matter that you did anything right when you took that test. I still love you. Just because you're mine. And God gave you to me. It's not performance-based. And that is a beautiful word it's a word that makes our kids feel secure in who they are. Because if you're anything like me, I can tell you my failures. I can tell you all the ways I fall short. I can tell you the ways that I'm not like my dad, in ways that I wish I was more like my dad. But just to know I'm accepted as I am is an incredible thing. Um, a lot of our kids, they can see the things that we take pleasure in, can't they? You know, like you're watching the football game and you're yelling at the quarterback, right? <laughs> and when they win, you're standing up and yelling, you know, and getting a cheese dip all over yourself. You look like an idiot, but you're having a good time. You're excited. There's delight in that. And our kids see these things and they see the things that make us happy. And so we got to be dads that know how to show our kids that we're happy with them, that we delight in them just for who they are. Thirdly, there's the person element here. The father declares the identity of his beloved son. Um, I, I love this, uh, that, that he says, you're my son, you're my beloved son. It's, like, it's not like Jesus didn't know that, but I think in that moment he needed to hear it. He needed to hear it, just like he needed to breathe and needed to drink and needed to sleep. He needed to hear his dad say it. And in saying it, it helps shape his identity. Our kids need to know 
this is what our family is about. We're Christians. This is how we live. This is how Ophelia does things. My kids hear me say that sometimes. You know, when we have that, that famous conversation that you have with your kids and they say, well, this family does it like this. His parents let him to do that. And it's like, well, I'm not those parents. This is how our family does it. And I think this is right for our family. This is, these are our values. They come from the Bible. This is how we do it. And as we do that, we shape the identity of our kids. As I said, I, I can think of things my dad has said and done that has made me who I am. Sometimes when I go down and visit my parents in Illinois, um, I'll hear my dad say something or do something, and I'm like, I think I do that exact thing. And it's kind of eerie, you know what I mean? I'm turning into my dad. Oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's a good thing because my dad shaped my identity in those ways. It's actually a very, very good thing. And I, and I know there's some negatives that we pick up too. I understand that. I, I, I know there's things parents pass down that maybe they don't want to pass down, but there they are. You know, it's like, where'd you get your temper from? Well, Dad, you know. <laughs> I, I get that those things are in play as well. And we've got to work through those things. But, Dads, what we get to do, we get to shape our kids to be more like us. And if that's not one of the most humbling things you've ever thought about, I don't know what will be right? That I'm forming one to be like me. So what are you like? What do you value? The reality is that I know um, on Mother's Day I preached on First Timothy. Timothy didn't have a believing father. He had a believing mother. And she and his grandmother shaped his Christian identity. It's beautiful when you read that. But I've also, having done youth ministry long enough, I have seen I have seen children growing up where a mother is the one with faith and the father is very opposed to the faith. And I've seen how that impacts the kids and shapes their identity and actually pulls them away from Christ. I know God's story is not done in those people's lives that I'm thinking of, those faces I'm thinking of right now. But I've seen it. It's a shaper. Dads, you shape how your kids see God. That's a huge motivator in my life. So I realize that not all of us had perfect dads. Uh, None of us had perfect dads, actually. Only Jesus did. But for those of you that have a broken relationship with dad, I want you to remember the original. The Father who loves you and will never stop loving you. At the beginning of the book of Mark, you see heaven torn open. And Mark, you know, it's interesting. You know, if you read the book of Mark, I preached through it once in my youth ministry days, and Mark loves to use the word immediately. It's kind of like an action movie. You'll see that word all over the place. Even in this passage we're looking at today, um, if if you would turn there, I I don't know if the NIV does it, but if you would look at it real quick with me, It's Mark 1, if you haven't gone there already. I didn't invite you earlier. Uh, Mark 1, 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Uh, The word just as would be immediately, immediately. And you see that all over in Mark, this this immediately thing you know Jesus immediately went over here and he did this and it's kind of Mark's way of 
keeping the action going, keeping you in the flow of the story. And so the beginning of the story is, immediately, heaven is torn open. At the end of Mark, if you ever notice, if you go to the end of Mark, if you flip there to the very end, Mark ends in a very interesting way. We don't talk about this very much in church, but we'll talk about it just briefly here. If you go to the very end of Mark, this is Mark 16. You have this, in this Bible, it's in, uh, it's, it's, uh, in italics. And it has this little statement after verse 8. It says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. So most scholars take it that this was an addition to the text. Like, somebody along the line thought, there's no great commission in Mark. Jesus didn't send the disciples into the world to preach the gospel. I'm going to add that in. And, and, and they wrote this section to kind of give it a nice ending. But I think Mark's ending is great as it is. I mean, it's just as quirky as the rest of his gospel. Um, this is it. You know, like you look at the resurrection here. Uh, let's read the resurrection part. Uh, let's do, uh, well, let's start in, verse, let's start in uh, chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they're on their way to the tomb, and they ask each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here See the place where they've laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Verse 8, and probably the last verse of Mark. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Go thou and do likewise. You know, it's like, what? You know, (laughs) Don't tell anybody about Jesus because you're so terrified. <laughs> okay, that's not the point of the ending of Mark. But I love how Mark ends with this like, uh-oh, he's a, where, where'd he go? And, and then someone said, that's not a good way to end your book, Mark. I'm going to make it better. And then they wrote this great commission thing. And, and there's even a thing about handling snakes. And, 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 and you know, we kind of look at that and go, whoa, okay. Um, I think I think that was an addition later on. I'm just, just putting it out there. But there is a verse I want to call your attention to. We can put it up on the screen. It's Mark 15, verse 38. Uh, When Jesus died on the cross, in verse 37, he says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Do, Do you see what Mark does here? Don't tell me Mark doesn't have a good ending to his gospel. Don't tell me it doesn't work for you. Because I look at this and I go, I get it. Do you get it yet? Do you see it? Put on your thinking caps, all right? Do you see it? In Mark 1, the Father rips heaven open and says, This is my Son. And in Mark 15, Jesus dies on the cross. The centurion actually says, Surely this is the Son of God. And when that happens, heaven's not torn open, but the curtain is torn in the temple. You see? You see it? The tearing that God does, that, that Mark wants to highlight as book ends to his gospel, to start 
and to finish. There's a tearing. And what this tells me, what it should tell you, is that when the Father declared His great love for the Son, you are my Son in whom I am well pleased. Understand that when the curtain was torn, the same effect happened, but it was for you. It was for me. Niall, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There is nothing standing in the way between me and you. The curtain has been torn. Now, if you're not familiar, if you've not been in church for a long time and you're going, what in the world does he mean by the curtain? Let me tell you what I mean by the curtain. In the temple, in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there's this thick, thick curtain that's between anybody, any worshiper, and the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? That, that, that's a place you can't get in there. That's a special place. And once a year, a priest could go in there and do his ministry. It was, it was a sacred place. You couldn't just walk in there. In some sense, it made you realize there is a curtain. There is a separation between me and God. The curtain is there because I'm a sinner. And God just ripped that curtain apart so that he could look you in the face and say, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And so maybe you never heard your dad say something like that, but your heavenly father has said it to you when he ripped the curtain apart. It's not a mistake that Mark did that the way that he did it. Can you put up 1 John 3? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Could I have you bow your heads and close your eyes now?